I want to start today with a story of actually a famous, it was a secular poet and songwriter. Um, you, you may not have heard of him though. He was born in England in 1731. I don't think any of you were around then. Um, his, someone, I don't know. <laughs> you were, okay, good on you. You may know him. Um, his, what was his name? William William Cooper, and um, it's spelled C O W P E R, but we say Cooper. And he he was born into a family, um, but his mother died when he was six, and that actually left him with a deep grief that he then had to, you know, just carry and process through his childhood. By the time he got into his early 20s, his father also died, his stepmother died, his best friend drowned and his long, lifelong love, it, it ended and they, they, he didn't get married and, um, and it was a devastation and he, he actually went into a very melancholy sadness that was heavy and that was, was heartbreaking in his life, he actually, his father um, really encouraged him and, and made him follow law and um, become a lawyer. And he actually, I'll quote what he says. He says, I was bred into the law, a profession to which I n- never had an inclination. I bet you there's people here you've ended up at some stage doing things because someone else wanted you to do it. And he was in a place where... It just felt hard. He was wearing grief. He was wearing depression. He was wearing shame and sadness. And it actually got to the place where he was going for a job in the, as a clerk in the, of, of the journals of the House of Lords. And this meant that he needed to be examined and his life looked at. But the thought of these people looking into his life and, and examining him and looking and seeing him was so overwhelming that he just couldn't handle it at all. And he decided he needed to take his own life. And so he got some poison and he decided he'd try that. But then for some reason he decided that maybe instead he would um, try drowning and so he went to the, the closest water, which was a wharf um, in, uh, it's called Custom House Key. But he found on that particular day, the water was so low, there's no way he could have killed himself in that method. So then he decided he'd try the poison, but for some reason, his hands just couldn't open the jolly bottle. And so that wasn't working. And then he decided he would stab himself. <laughs> hey, he should write a book, yes. Um, but the, the blade broke. And then he decided to hang himself and the garter broke. And it's like he's just not having a good day when you can't even commit suicide, Okay. Who knows that God was probably on his case, okay? But by the early 30s, this young guy had actually ended up 
in a in a mental uh, his mental health wasn't that good. Let's just put it that way, and he ended up in a St Albans asylum, uh, insane asylum. The the failed suicide attempts had just heightened his whole sense of guilt and shame and the oppression he was feeling, and you know, and this feeling of being under God's wrath that God was mad with him and. You know, I believe there's probably people here and you can actually relate to these feelings. You just feel like there's this sense of guilt or sense of oppression or being under God's wrath. And it was in this this asylum that he actually found a Bible. And God started to reveal himself through the word of God in the in the Bible and he came across Romans 3.23. Let me just read the few verses around that. I know a lot of you will be very familiar with these verses, but listen to this again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God made publicly available as the mercy seat through faith in his blood for a demonstration of his righteousness because of the passing over of a previously committed sin. And in that passage you go, okay, whatever that it means, you know. Um, it actually for him was a revelation that there was something powerful enough to deal with all of that piled up shame and guilt and depression and the junk that he felt on the inside. He had this revelation that there was blood somehow strong enough to kick that stuff off completely. And in that, he actually had a converted, a conversion because he had the revelation of the righteousness of God. And today I just know that God is wanting to bring a, a similar revelation of God's righteousness and the power of it today to even us who have been Christians forever. You know, you look back in Romans chapter 3 and it talks about, um, in, in those verses, that God made publicly available as the mercy seat through which uh, there was faith in his blood. Now, the mercy seat is actually referring to, it's in the temple, there was the Holy of Holies. Have you heard of that before? And in the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant, and the top of the Ark, there was a lid, had the cherubim on it, and it was called the mercy seat. And it, the, that was the presence of God. And once a year... The, the high priest could come into that Holy of Holies and he poured the blood of atonement on the Day of Atonement onto that mercy seat and it would the, the sins of Israel would be forgiven. It's this massive picture of this place where the blood was able to, the sacrifice of blood was able to be the thing that brought re what's called redemption or what's called maybe the ransom or what's called forgiveness. 
And so in this passage here, there's this revelation that actually Jesus Christ, when he shed his blood on the cross, it was the blood that was needed to bring the mercy seat atonement. He is that powerful. Now, William, he was dealing with grief and depression and shame. Today in this room, people are dealing with these things, grief. They're dealing with depression. They're dealing with shame. The thing about church is that we can be feeling it, but there can be this kind of sneaky thing where we kind of pretend we're okay. This little, in fact, I grew up in a family where actually my mum and dad could fight all the way to church and step out of, now I'm not saying that, you know, I know you, you probably do this too. Um, <laughs> and then everything was okay. Now, the problem was it wasn't all okay. And my parents ended up splitting up and no one ever knew anything was not okay because it wasn't okay in that culture of the church to not be okay. Does that make sense? And we don't want to live like that. We've got to be willing enough to be real enough, to be authentic enough, to be, to be honest enough to say, actually, I'm not okay. It's a little bit messy way of doing church, but it's a whole lot better. It's a whole lot more authentic. And it's a whole lot more, like it's, it's the way to freedom. And so we need to be able to say, you know what? I actually have been struggling with grief. I've actually been feeling the depression. I've actually, inside, I've got this shame. And because we know in our head that Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, we know we can't really say that I feel shame sometimes because it's not allowed because Jesus did it. But I'm telling you, we've got to be honest and today is a day that I believe that people are just going to offer their shame. They're going to have this revelation of the fact that they don't need to carry that anymore. You know, William, he ended up, he's reading uh, Zechariah 13 and verse 1 has a verse that he created into a song. On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them for, from all sin and impurity. So he read this verse and he's got this picture of a fountain and the power in this fountain is actually to cleanse people from the sin and impurity. Now tell me, what's the, the thing that cleanses us from sin and impurity? You're allowed to speak out loud. It's the blood. So he wrote a song about the power of the blood that's a, a fount or a fountain that is actually as we come under the water or come under the, the flow of that blood, we actually get free from our sin and our guilt and our shame. The verse of it is, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that blood, lose all their guilty stains. And sinners 
plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The power of the cross is available. You can look at the power of sin and shame versus the power of the cross. You know, there's another famous um, chapter in the Bible, John chapter 3. Have you ever heard of a famous verse in that? What is it? John 3, 16. Well, let's start there. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. And it's that fear that their deeds, that their heart, that their evil is going to be exposed. It's shame. And it's the power of shame that keeps people hidden in darkness. Exactly, It's actually the very same power that was released in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, their familiar response to the the deeds that would be for their heart, their deeds being exposed way back in the garden, what was it? It was to hide. It was hiding the bad things, hiding the shame. Now they got fig leaves. They suddenly, I mean, they'd seen each other naked. wasn't new, but there was something happening on the inside. There was something that they said, I've got to cover myself. And they grabbed some flimsy. Actually, I've had a fig tree. They're not that small. You know, you can actually make a pretty decent covering. But who knows, even that's flimsy. And we, we still go back to flimsy coverings. We kind of feel like it's okay. But ultimately, it's hiding. Trying to not let our evil hearts be exposed because we don't want them to be seen. So actually, we, we back into the dark. Instead of allowing it to come and to be, just to be given over and dealt with. Lest his deeds be exposed, we can we can cover this pain with all sorts of stuff. Maybe you do it. You know, one of the, the ways that we do it that we may not think of it as a flimsy covering, but you know that little like button? You know, if you're posting something and you're getting lots of likes, you're getting endorphins entering your body because people like me, who knows that can actually be a little flimsy covering for something that's actually going on deep inside. Makes you feel good. Maybe it's your medications, your alcohol, your your stuff that you take that is shifting something on the inside to cover the pain. Maybe it's your sexual encounter, pornography. I know it's in the church. Don't look at me like that. Maybe it's the win. 
Maybe it's playing golf and when you get a good score that, that you feel better about yourself. The pokies. Maybe it's gaming. I don't know. It can be all sorts of flimsy fig leaves that we sew together to make ourselves try and not look like we're naked and that we've got shame on us. Oh, sorry. No shame, just wet. Shame. It happened in the garden and it's been the stain of sin ever since. You know, do you know the difference between shame and guilt? Shame is when you're guilty. Okay, you've done the wrong thing. That's Sorry, guilt. Guilt is when you're guilty. Make sense? Oh, thanks, Sam. I'll just get out of the way. You've done something wrong, you're guilty. But shame is saying you're faulty. Guilt is when you've done something wrong. You're guilty. Shame is how you, it makes you feel faulty. Like you're wrong. Not like you've done wrong, but that you're actually a wrong person on the inside. Just leave it there, they'll be right. Good job. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Okay, so let's get this wrapped up. I'll get confused what time we're finishing, but I think we're okay. Romans 5.17. This is powerful. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ? Jesus died for your sin account. You know what? We all have a sin account. That means kind of like, imagine this, on the inside of you there's an account. Okay? It's full of sin. Now that that account full of sin means that you are separated from God and the punishment of that sin is death and it's eternal separation from God unless that account has been dealt with. And so Jesus came along and he says, I'm paying your account. I'm going to, I'm dying on the cross as you, for you. And as we, as we appropriate what he's done when he died on the cross, he takes out of our account sin and he puts into that account righteousness. And so now instead of my account being filled with the sin, it is filled with his righteousness. And that doesn't mean I'm not capable of sinning anymore, but it means that my situation, my legal looking on God, looking at me is he says, you are righteous. You have, he's taken out sin. And we keep going, oh, but look, we keep thinking that we're filled with sin. Now, if you are, God says that Jesus died on the cross for God to love the world. He gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That means that we have the ability to have that exchange take place. Oh, I thought that'd be cheering right there. <laughs> you know, I love, I love Isaiah. We live for the, the principle that... Um, I'll read this verse. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in God. For, oh, that is not the verse I was thinking. 
No, that's all right. That's good verse though. Let's read this. <laughs> He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. There it is again, this picture of actually that Jesus gives us his robe. You know, just quickly, sometimes we don't recognize what we're carrying as shame. Sometimes it's actually a feeling like um, God is punishing me. I know when our my firstborn um, died, his name was Joshua. How long have I got? Ten seconds? Okay, good. Okay, just don't want to overdo it, you know. Um, and then the problem is just before I went into labour, I'd been reading um, a well-known chapter called Hebrews 10, Hebrews 12. And it talks about the Lord disciplines those he loves. And so... Once I went into labour, I kind of went into, you know, when you go into your baby's in intensive care and life is in a whirl and you don't necessarily do a lot of deep Bible study in that moment because there's too much going on. So you kind of just keep kind of hooking back sometimes to what you last read, which was this fact that Jesus disciplines those he's loved. But to me, it felt like he punishes. And so I went around for a very long time with this deep feeling like I'm faulty, I've done something wrong, somehow my baby dying is punishment. I'm not even really particularly sure what it is I'm being punished for, but I just feel like it's got to be that. And I even read it in the Bible, I'm sure. And so it took a long time before God helped heal that particular processing, that wound, that thought, and he showed me it's not punishment, it's discipline, it's training. Because Jesus died to pay for all of our punishment on the cross. He doesn't need to punish me anymore, it is finished, it is done. He is, and some of you are carrying these thoughts, what is happening to me is punishment. Jesus died for our punishment. And today you can let go of that thought that I am being punished and just say, Jesus, punishment went on him. Now, I, you know, I still think even now, even, well, actually all these years later, I actually can see that the death of my children, the first two children, was part of actually God allow. I mean, it's amazing all these years on, I'm actually grateful for the, I don't wish it happened. Incredibly painful. And I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But there's a fruit and a richness and a character and stuff that we've been able to learn and grow and understand about God and his character and who he is and his love. and he, that, that actually these deep valley experiences in not just rejecting them but embracing them and saying, okay, God, what have you got for me in this? And learning 20 years on, we're actually going, oh, my goodness, I'm actually so much better for that. It's kind of weird pretty amazing actually he doesn't waste anything but God took the punishment on Jesus in the cross his blood is enough and we can we can receive the exchange today you know the verse in Isaiah that I thought I was reading out is this one Um, he provides for those who grieve in Zion he bestows on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, and they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Actually, that word 
uh, that is used as crown of, uh, what does it say? I don't know, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. It's kind of a play on words in the Hebrew that the, the turban or the crown and the, and the dust or the ashes is kind of nearly the same word. And it's like, but that's what he does. He takes our shame and he gives us righteousness. And did you earn that? Nuh-uh. It's a gift. He takes our grief and he trans, he just, as we keep giving over the grief and we may feel it and we may feel the pain and it may, but eventually we realize he's giving us a garment of praise instead of that, instead of that grief and that mourning and that despair. And he gives us so much. You know, I'm going to play for you the song that William Cooper wrote in this that we spoke about. And It's about there being a fountain of blood. And it's kind of could be icky if you just thought of a fountain of blood, except for the fact that it's the one in the Bible that is so powerful that every hidden shame, every hidden guilt, every bit of you that looks at your heart and goes, oh, I just don't feel worthy, I'm inadequate, I'm not good enough, I'm faulty, You don't need to carry faulty anymore. I know you're not perfect. He knows you're not perfect. But the core of your identity is not faulty. And today, we're going to, I'm going to, I want you to do something that's going to take courage. You know, shame makes you want to hide. Cover flimsy fig leaves over your bits. I mean, it's not a good thing, but that's what we do. We, we hide to, sh- to cover our, our, our things we don't want people to see. And to, to help you break that off, I want you to do something that's going to take courage. And that is during, and during this song, we're going to pray first. And then if God shows you that you're carrying shame in, you know, look, you may have been a Christian 30, 40 years or three minutes. It doesn't matter. We can still hide these feelings of shame or guilt, despair in an area of our heart. If you're in ministry or you're a child or youth, an old person, it doesn't matter our age, doesn't matter our experience, we can still hold these things sometimes, hide them away, tuck them away. And, it, and I'm just going to give you the chance to go, you know what, I'm going to stand up during this song and I'm going to hand you this shame. I'm going to hand you this feeling. Now, I'm not going to ask you what it is or what it's about or what it's related to. That is between you and God. But it's an opportunity for you to activate an exchange. And I believe there's probably half of you could probably stand up, maybe more, because we all carry it. We all carry little lies from the enemy and today we're yielding that sword of fire and we're saying enough is enough. You know what Jesus did on the cross was enough so we cut it off. We hand over shame. You've not been made faulty. You've Everything you ever did, even if you are guilty and you are dirty and you are all these things in the past, he died on the cross for your punishment. Receive it in. Father, I just want to thank you. I just want you to ask, just say, uh, maybe even out loud with me, Father God, could you show me if I'm carrying any shame? And as you sit there, just be, just be honest with yourself. Maybe it feels like guilt. Maybe it feels like I'm just being punished for something. 
But I want you to, you've got the opportunity of saying, you know what, I give this to you and I receive your righteousness in its place.